Welcome to the Music Book Club, brought to you by Automatic Panic. In each episode, we choose an album, listen to it, and talk about it. I'm Andy Payne, with me is Azin Khan. Hello. And our guests today are ourselves. Hey. How are you, Azin? I'm, I'm very well, actually. It's, it's, uh, it's been a really fun ride, these, uh, uh, these episodes. So it's, it's nice to kind of draw it to a, to a close, but uh, definitely something to do again, I think, in the future. I've, I've learned so much, and it's been a real joy talking to some of our other, other guests. Yeah, exactly. Lots of people who uh, I've always respected as artists and stuff, and to be able to have that time for an in-depth chat with them has been uh, probably priceless, really. Yeah. Nice having a structure there. Exactly. And um, this time, though, it's uh, we're, it's a bit self-indulgent now, so you and me, <laughs> and we can, we can talk about stuff, and we can... Uh, and we're in person, you know, uh, yeah. you, you, you can't tell this now, obviously, listening to the audio, but this is the only the third episode that's actually recorded in person without like going over uh, a video call or something. So hopefully there are fewer like random, random like interjections because of the latency. Somebody tries to interrupt, but the other person doesn't hear it or whatever. And yeah, then I can actually look at each other. laughs because it's just so loud that you can't yeah. <laughs> tell what the other person's doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So hopefully this it comes through and it's a shame, you know, that... Uh, the pandemic and everything happened that we were really looking forward to after we did the first one with Danny mm. we were really looking forward to doing more of them you know it's so nice to have be there in person hang out for a bit listen to the music yeah together. exactly that was the thing that was like we had this big plan of like oh you make an evening of it it's like four hours yeah. you listen to the music have some food together chat and then you just sit down and have that nice dilute uh, distilled conversation yeah. but alas we've this is only the second time we've fully done that process we, so well, we, ho- did, we didn't ho- listen to it with Dani, the first one. No, that's true. So no. I guess the hosier one is that the... was That was our, our archetype yeah. <laughs> episode. So <laughs> thank you, Jess, for, <laughs> for that. <laughs> although, although that one was also funny because we didn't have um, enough mic stands or any mics. I think I left them yeah. at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we had to use all that like, laundry stuff. <laughs> To, to which is which is why Jess is hiding behind a laundry yeah. thing in the <laughs> uh, cover photo. We managed to make it work. I was yeah. I was pleased in the end that actually it wasn't a complete disaster because <laughs> uh, it could have been really yeah. easily. And we didn't have a we didn't have a proper speaker as well. Like we were playing it through some phone speaker. Yeah, we played off my laptop. Speaker, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, which is a, a slight shame for yeah. Hosey's uh, yeah, rich yeah, tapestry. Yeah, of yeah you really stuff want a big sound on, for that, but uh, um, alas. We didn't uh, have any other option at the time. Nope. So, hmm. So, today we are discussing Royal Blood's eponymous debut from 2014. If you, the listener, have not heard it yet, press pause now and go do so. Is that long enough? Yeah. It's about 32 minutes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, how did you find out about this album in the first place, Azin? So this this is funny, right? So we're a two-piece. We are. It's verifiable. They're a two-piece. Oh. They're rock. We're, we like to think that we're rock and roll. There's some connections here. There's some connections here. So you might think that there's a real direct kind of influence. And there is. But it, it's not why automatic panic exists, for example. No. I found out about Royal Blood properly after we'd already got got the ball rolling with with Automatic Panic. Not not too long after, in fairness, but after that. So it wasn't quite that. But 
my god if i if it weren't the, if it were the other way around i would have started a two-piece immediately <laughs> <You know>? like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's not like i'm being like oh i would have come up with it on my own my god this like i remember the way it happened was i'd heard things about them never heard them and read about this rock act that's been around it was actually around the time their second album came out um so they'd been around for a few years by this time it's 2017 2017 yeah yeah and i was at work and one of my colleagues patrick hello if you're listening he he, he sort of commandeered the speakers we had sort of late we had a speaker in the in the office and late in the day or something people would start sticking music on and um i think he started playing figure it out mm-hmm. and i turned to him immediately i just knew i was just like this is royal blood isn't it and he's, he <laughs> he didn't he didn't actually say yes he looked i'm gonna do i'm gonna show andy and i'm gonna try and describe what it was he just went <laughs> and this is just like it's a, like facial a expre- stank nod yeah it's, like- just a, it's just a facial expression of oh yeah <laughs> at that moment i was hooked i was just like okay this is the shit <laughs> yeah i had a really similar experience in uh though i didn't know it was royal blood at the time i first heard little monster on the radio and that first riff triggered something in me that i cannot remember from anything after being a teenager and hearing stuff for the first time, like finding it for myself. Mm. And I've certainly never had a rock band just listening to the radio that I've heard and gone, oh my God, what is that? That sounds incredible. And I think that song in particular is quite, it put me in mind of uh, a band CKY and 96 Quite Bitter Beings, which was uh, their biggest song. It was um, featured on uh, one of the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater games, and it's got that huge riff and kind of stomping sound to it that um, that put me in mind. Obviously, when uh, vocals come in and you hear it, you're like, oh, that's a a bit more kind of modern polish to it. Mm. But it was so obviously... Uh, new and exciting to me that I just had to listen yeah. to it and the the only other time that I can really feel like having that that strong emotion to music recently was when Hristiana first played me Morphine in the car and I just like it resonated so strongly um, other things that your, we've uh, your, your bass wavelength is much longer than most people right so it makes sense yeah. of Morphine <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah and then finding out they were a two-piece, I was then in the mind that, oh, I'd wanted to kind of do a two-piece for a while, but when I heard what was possible from Royal Blood, I was like, Asin's probably the right guy for this. Let's wait until the inevitable demise of Wacky Miller's Moat Machine from sheer <laughs> annoyance of trying to uh, arrange eight people at the same time yeah, for yeah. rehearsals in and London. gigs. In London, yeah, when everyone is working full-time in different fields and different corners of london mm. and uh yeah that was that was our, our story really was we were in a um november uh, like it was november a bit cold and rainy uh we were in the pub we just had a particularly frustrating um uh, incident of like uh photo shoots and trying to arrange rehearsals yeah, yeah, yeah. and we were just like oh why don't we just form a two-piece and in my <laughs> mind i'm like yes i've been waiting for this ever since <laughs> i first heard royal blood this is exactly what i wanted <laughs> so- <laughs> But, it, I mean, Royal Blood are really special in that way, right? If I, someone who's only heard their name and knows basically nothing about them, I'm suddenly exposed to their music and I can identify it immediately. You know, that's not that's not me being, like, incredible in some way. That's them, mm. right? That's just, 
they 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 were signature without even trying in that sense there is there at the time at least there was literally nothing that sounded like them in the mainstream yeah and and there are many there are many bands that you see um maybe coming up the grassroots scene and so on they're like the future of rock music or something like world brought really wrenched rock music back into the mainstream in mm. some way they are the last band i can think like rock band as well who have successfully launched on a major label and done well uh, commercially mm. it, it's not really the the kind of the business model of that sort of band is not there for the vast majority of bands they are uh unique in that way uh similarly i mean you just have credit to, to them uh, yeah blood, exa- you know? exactly <laughs> you know i was reading i was reading the story uh on wikipedia on the the train and there was the inevitable you know they actually formed three years before they had a guitarist as well at the beginning and then uh the main uh, uh the front man mike uh, kerr mike kerr yeah. he moved to australia for nine months um had the duo out there but he then came back, left the drummer there. Uh, he'd been in a band with Ben Thatcher like years before, and he mm. picked him up from the airport. They started rehearsing the next day, and it sort of they happened randomly, from there. organically. Yeah. Right? They were sort of they went from just starting out in the garage to like being a major festivals in like a year or something. It just yeah. sort of flew really quickly. Yeah, though um, <laughs> there was a line that was quoted in the Wikipedia article, which was that Mike Kerr said for like several months it was impossible to get a gig for them <laughs> right at the beginning and so it, they kind of got picked up by warner um through the studios they were using and uh, maybe the demos that they were producing and which is quite a kind of old school way of doing it really mm-hmm. but you know i certainly in the early days of automatic panic i remember how hard it was to try and get a gig yeah, our yeah. first gig was a last minute thing where we managed to uh, get a gig at the Fiddler's Elbow in Camden, brought 20 people along uh, because it happened to coincide with a good friend of ours' birthday. Yeah, no, and I, I remember that yeah. um, That was at the end of that night when we came and we sort of, because they were keeping a tally of who came to see who at the door. Um, so that's how you sort of, they figure out how much of the door you, the gate, if you like, that you get. Yeah, we're not going to get into politics. Yeah, yeah like. I mean, whether that works or not, but that's, <laughs> how, that's how they do it. And um and yeah, ours was the biggest. And I was like, at that moment, I was like, you know, maybe we're a little bit onto something here. This is <laughs> something that's worth trying out. And so it's encouraged, you know, and you can see, see bands like Royal Blood and and obviously their their rise is meteoric and they absolutely, obviously deserve it. They're amazing. Um, so it's just encouraging, I think, for the rest of us and that who are sort of plowing the same furrow in a way. Or yeah, so- there's, there's a space in the mainstream yeah. for it. And it's not like we have aspiration... Uh, sorry, it's not like we have designs on huge made, uh, mainstream success in the next year or two. But knowing that there is a mainstream audience for that level of rock. Yeah, and it, it also influenced the way I sort of approached the writing of our songs as well, mm-hmm. because I realised when you listen to it, like, those hooks and riffs and, and things are catchy as hell. Yeah, absolutely. but it doesn't take away from the rock and roll aspect. And I was like, you know what? That's also that's an awesome kind of mindset to have that you can make something that you can sing along to, and and not 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 necessarily in that sort of anthemic way, but just it's hooky and catchy in the same way that pop music these days might have killer hooks on the synths or so. He just does it on the guitar, yeah, on a huge guitar, and obviously you have the catchy sort of vocals. So I feel like his vocal stylings are obviously grounded in the rock and roll thing, but they they. They have a kind of, I don't know if it's the sort of 
simple pentatonic scales that he's using when he's singing most of the time or um or what it is but it, it, the way he sings also fits into especially in the second album is is way more um pop oriented but again without ever kind of losing the fact that it's really heavy rock yeah exactly um, and i really like the second album as well but you can yeah. definitely see there's a um there's more polish on it as well you can see that yeah you can see there's more of that proper mainstream old school influence of just adjusting the sound and whether they you know that was actually driven by them and they're like okay mm. we've done our big rock statement from like simple basics mm. uh in this album and they would expand right as, of course what, as a second album that's what you want to do you don't want to just be stuck and say we're going to repeat the success because that's you know i admire that that's that's um that would be formulaic and and you don't want that from from it, a band I, but it probably I, worked when you weren't able to hear every song on the album before you could buy it yeah like you had even 15 years ago mm. that was you know you listen to the single and then you're going oh okay right that's worth me buying the album and i, I remember when i was a young teenager that's exactly how i would buy albums and occasionally i'd mess it up and i thought i was buying a machine head album and i actually uh, bought an american head charge album <laughs> uh but even so you know that was the kind of the the glory of buying music then but that's not how it's consumed now you can check in thousands of places online what every song on the album sounds like so if it's just exactly the same as the first album there is literally no reason to buy it <laughs> yeah that, that, so commercially, of course, that makes sense as well. But just artistically, I can see them. Oh, yeah, exactly. I, I would be the same. I'd say, you mm. know, like we've done this and we can learn from that. We can use that. Do we and, want to write the same song again? Exactly. But it's still identifiably Royal Blood. That's that's the hallmark of any great band. Can you, do they, I guess there are two different ways of going about it. You become completely chameleon-like and you change up entirely. And I think this, for some reason, the world is more forgiving when solo artists do that. So you think of people like mm -hmm. Bowie or... Because you still have the timbre of the voice that links it in, and that is... The, but you have that with the band as well. But but in for a solo artist, uh, particularly a vocalist, the voice is going to be the much more prominent yeah, thing. that's true. And, it's, and a lot of the music will be written around the voice. Yeah, I, I, that's a good point. That's probably the reason why. But I'm just thinking, you know, people like Bowie changed his image, his music style from album to album. Mm -hmm. People more modern, you know... Um, pop artists do this as well, like Beyonce or Lady Gaga or Taylor Swift. Exactly. Changed genres entirely. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and they can get away with it. Whereas bands, it feels like it's harder for them to get away with it. And I think you might be right that it's because you have to comp to change the sound a lot. You have to compromise um, at least something that something was quite a major aspect of, before. Well, yeah. yeah. So a, a really good example for that for me comes uh, is uh, Queen's Hot Space album. Yeah. So that's the album which has Under Pressure on it, but that's the only sort of hit single on it that still survives today. Most people might not know most of the stuff, but the, uh, sorry, in terms of uh, uh, Queen's core fan base, it really pissed them off because it's a disco album. Right. So there's like not a lot of Brian May flying around. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe there's a couple of drum machines here and there. And the Queen's fan base rejected it it's like this is not us and i think you're totally right that it, some of that sonic signature goes away okay yes it's still pretty much reverse on vocals but where's the guitar well is it yeah and it, it's interesting on what the majority of the fan base is able to accept and reject for me biffy Clyro actually a really good example of mm. uh, they have uh, their first three albums are 
entirely different to oh, the stuff. And they did a huge pivot from uh, on Puzzle, which um, was the one they had their, their mainstream breakout. And mm. we're going to talk about, I'm going to mention it uh, later because I <laughs> cannot believe I didn't choose it for one of the albums for this season. But they... They sh- they dropped. I had loads of conversations with their kind of early fans, and I knew them beforehand. But I love their more modern stuff. Yeah. It's just better written, to be honest it's with re- you. Yeah, and I yes, they they've lost a lot of the real janky stuff that they did. But I think it's better overall, to be honest, because they haven't lost that that sense of interest and intrigue um, in their music. It, if you break it down, it's still just as complicated as the early yeah, stuff. But they've managed to give it a kind of uh sheen if you like they they got rid of the dissonance in a lot of places yeah like the the proper chords that you're not uh if you heard them in a jazz gig you're like was that accidental or on purpose <laughs> or both <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> accidentally on purpose yeah <laughs> um and it's true the best transmission like that there's a story of i think herbie hancock tells of miles davis when they were playing a concert together and hancock says i at some point i, I can't remember which piece they were playing but at some point he said i can completely balls it up like i played entirely the wrong note and he could see miles miles was turned sort of perpendicular to him because mm-hmm. there was the piano here and um, davis was fa- facing the audience and he just sort of looked out of the corner of his eye like this hearing that he heard it and then he did something that just made it right yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that and that's when herbie hancock was like yeah this guy <laughs> this guy is the guy yeah <laughs> um, i completely balls it up and he just ma- ran with it and made it a thing and then you can do that in jazz it's you know in, in straight up rock and roll it's way more obvious if somebody balls us up you know yeah up something yeah you you're very unlikely to hear something that isn't a chord progression that you've heard before i guess yeah, what it is yeah but- that brings it back to royal blood because Roll Blood, uh, Mike Kerr, he plays a bass. And he only plays generally one note at a time. I know occasionally he does a little chord. But as a bassist, you play one mm. note. Well, yeah, yeah. Plus, an, plus the octave. Plus the octave, From the guitar, fine. but yeah. But the point is that there's, it's, it's, um, it's m- sort of monophonic in that way. There's, mm-hmm. There aren't other notes. Which means he can, do, he can do crazy things that might be mistakes. Like there are often lots of um, sort of bits where he moves up or down a semitone. And it implies that chord. And it's usually like a mate dominant um uh dominant seventh or something but there's only one note and he's very good at he's very good at building the chord from just those two notes of his voice and the bass so you you get the feeling of a chord mm-hmm. and you can hear the progression but there are only two notes at any given time yeah so he's he's changing the gap just between the two notes yeah, essentially between to control the your feeling exactly. yeah, yeah 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 and he's so really interval, good at that. yeah i i am a music teacher <laughs> I, I forget these things i once called an oboe a clarinet and vice oh, versa no. <laughs> although to be honest yeah. i'm not sure i could tell the difference if you just showed me one <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah absolutely and um i listen uh to it and one of the things that I really like, and I, I mentioned this, but I think I cut it when we were editing one of the other episodes, was how I love when you change the kind of pre-chorus on the second time you do it, you mm. change the chords in there. And through Royal Blood, he does that so often and in such different ways. It's kind of because there's only the two of them. They don't have that many options of instrumentation. And this album, they played all of the songs live so there aren't any overdubs of individual uh, main the parts. There's a little bit of you know the occasional guitar lick and tambourine and shaker, yeah. but that's yeah. it. Everything else has coming from that one take. So the way that they structure 
um, the music and the progressions in and out and they change uh, a bit if it repeats in the song is where you get the interest from not because oh the guitar is playing a bit here oh the vocal is doing a bit and now there's there, a synth and, and then there's, there's a synth a, there's a piano and there's a this and there's a bit that, more percussion in the background yeah exactly it's yeah and that's that that's typically classically how music was made right with orchestras and you have you have all those sort of levers to pull mm-hmm. um and when you're just a two-piece you can't you have to build your music up usually by taking things away as we've seen like he'll uh there'll be a bit there'll just be like half a bar with the drums drop out or something like that and this again brings me back to the pop aspect of it is you see this in pop music so much because you know people have drum machines and so on and you and the producers will just go around muting things at different points of the song mm-hmm. it's a very simple way of of adding power to whatever's being not being muted and um it it's a really commonly used technique if you like in pop music and it, it that's how it seems to me that it sort of ties it together and it makes it it gives it a mainstream feel even if it's not anywhere near the mainstream when you actually listen to it mm. as a whole and the the dynamics on this album are really huge yeah. as well that's part of mike kerr's style is actually that um leaving you with the throaty guitar noise and then the bass coming in or <laughs> getting mean, rid of the guitar the, i mean the opening of the album is right there right yeah exactly you, you yeah. out of the black because it comes in and has a snare and it has the 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 throaty guitar, the guitar sound, the sort yeah. of octave up sound, mm-hmm. and you think, even then you think, oh, this is big, okay, mm-hmm. and then it goes boom, you know, yeah, yeah, like, where Whoa. the bass drums there and <laughs> the bass guitar, yeah, yeah. and it's it's absolutely huge. It really Enormous. hits you in the face. Like we and we've this is something that actually is on several of the albums that we've done. Like Queens of the Stone Age used um, a similar thing at the beginning of uh, Millionaire, yeah, uh, the opening of Songs for the Death. Uh, where it's quiet, there's just a guitar and um, a kind of EQ-scooped drums, and then the whole thing hits you in the face when it comes in. Um, but Royal Blood do it without having to actually affect the uh, like EQ of the instruments. Mm. They do it using clever playing in and out, which means that actually when it's live, it has exactly the same effect without yeah. any real technical trickery. Not really, it's just yeah. quality musicianship, musicianship in the room and, in the moment. And, you know, you could say that he's playing two instruments at the same time because he's got the, inverted commas, guitar, yes. the octave above, and the bass. And as I found, you know, when we do our stuff, you can, if you can, if you have the ability to play them, to sort of mute them into, independently of each other, mm. you can create, you have, well, three different textures right there. At least, you yeah. You have guitar, you have bass, and you have guitar and bass. Yes. <laughs> and there's a surprising amount you can do with that. Yeah. And of course, you can then, uh, as as we know, there's effects pedals uh, yeah, for exactly. the guitar. So exactly. then, then yeah. the options are unlimited. But, yeah. but uh, the, the, yeah. the key is to use it sort of sparingly, but effectively. So you find the right moment in the song. You find the right the right tone and bring it in at the right time. And they're really good at that. It, not a lot's going on. But mm. when something does happen, it's, it, it's calculated almost. Yeah. But at the same time, it feels completely natural. Yeah, I mean, in the verses and in a lot of the songs, I, it, there's no point even like mentioning individual songs because they use almost all of these elements like mm. throughout the mm. album. Mm. Uh, there's in the verses, there'll be two things happening at any one time. Normally, drums and bass uh, slash guitar, and then the guitar and bass will stop, and then there'll be the bit of the vocal line, yeah. and then the guitar line will come back in. Yeah. The drums are still providing this um, beat underneath, and then you get that automatic build when there's all three elements when it comes to the chorus. 
But you see, this is this is how a lot of pop songs. Are exactly, I'm going exactly. to keep yeah. coming back to this mm. because I, it, it, it's always impressed me how they managed to to take that rock and roll thing and just change it into something else. Because rock and roll, like rock music in general, the band when the band is playing, it tends to be it tends to be quite continuous. I think it's partly an ego thing. Everybody in a rock band wants to carry on playing. They want to do that. Yeah. Nobody wants to mute themselves. Nobody wants to <laughs> stop playing. But it's really effective to just stop for a bar or something yes. and and have and basically. You're always changing, and I think as a listener, you can only really hear, you can only really pay attention to one thing at a time. Yeah. Um, so make so, so take advantage of that. Have basically only one thing happening at a time, mm-hmm. almost. I mean, you might have, obviously. That- but the point of like um, having one thing happening at a time still holds true if you've got the guitar and the vocal because they're being used to create one chord, yeah, exactly. one implied chord. So you're still listening to one thing, yeah. and you've got then you've got infinite possibilities, yeah, and yeah. they've they, they absolutely nail it. Yeah. Uh, so that, that single note thing is also like like we're saying, you can do so much. You can it gives you freedom in the vocals. It's a bit like um, Kurt Cobain used to do this because he used to say that he only played power chords because it let him do wacky things with the melodies. Because mm-hmm. if you play the full chord, then you cl- you're more likely to clash when you do something strange, like add a random major third or something. Mm. Um, and so, so single notes take that even further, and you can you can create different implied chords in different ways. But you could have the same, for example, you could have the same actual guitar line or bass line, but depending on what you sing, you might have completely different chords. Mm. Um, and I think this is this is that sort of amazing thing that happens when you constrain yourself <laughs> you know we've seen we've talked about this before about like tape and analog and whatever but it's the same here as well they've constrained themselves and it forces you to be creative yeah uh, we definitely said uh, similar things with the white stripes mm. obviously there's mm. different uh, approaches to what they wanted Absolutely. obviously the white stripes have a proper garage mentality yeah um, whereas here it's much more in the kind of rock tradition of how big can they sound? Yeah. And in fact, the limitation kind of helps there. Like we've uh, we've also mentioned this in terms of the fewer things you have going on, the more space each of them can take up in the the EQ range, the frequency range yeah. of, and like the bass drum and snare sound are enormous in this. But there's still loads of space left over for yeah, I mean, the other things. Whereas in so much other music, metal is a horrendous one for this. Is like the vocals fighting with the snare drum. Yeah, and like yeah. if the snare drum is playing really fast. It just gets lost in the yeah, in the yeah. middle of these like huge guitars and this yeah. vocalist trying to be heard over the top. And- yeah, there's just a lot going on in, in mm. that sort of upper mid range that draws attention to everything. Whereas because there's just the two of them and he's playing a bass, there isn't that much going on. You can always hear the vocal. It yeah. never struggles mm. to like be heard. But at the same time, it never it never dominates either. It's it it really is kind of like you were saying one instrument, and that's why it sounds it just sounds so cohesive for that. Mm-hmm. in that way and that's what makes it sound massive i think that's, yeah I, that's the yeah i i think they were really clever in only writing 10 songs 32 minutes this is a cohesive piece of work mm. it all works together each song is self-contained really well it's clearly themed very nicely through mm-hmm. um despite uh changes of time signature controls of tempo and uh, time and stuff but it's in and out it's barely longer than Slayer's Rain in Blood, yeah, which yeah. is the notor- like the most notorious example like of 28 a minutes long, twenty-eight minutes yeah. when they'd rehearsed forty minutes of material. <laughs> it's it's amazing how they've they really distilled all of that because this is the most recent album of our series as well. If I'm not mistaken, am I mistaken? I'm trying to think when Hosier came out. Oh, they came out in the same year. Was it 2014? 2014. Yeah. So 
Nearly. <laughs> so this I'm is one trying of the, to remember the other albums that we've had. This is the. Mm. You're right. I forgot about Hosea, but I think the others are all much. Uh, much better. I thought. Psychic um, Warfare 2015. Oh fuck! Forget forget about all that. <laughs> um, I, you see, but the the reason I say that is, Clutch have been around since the 90s. Yeah, like, Clutch have been around for ages. But what I'm getting at is that as a fresh rock debut, it's the most recent one. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It really. For me, this is a moment. This is a similar moment in rock history to Appetite for Destruction, for example. You know how mm-hmm. we were saying that that's a really seminal kind of. This is what rock can be. Yeah, I feel like Royal Blood's first album is exactly that. In 2014. Yeah, I mean, we have to hope that it doesn't actually kill the duo. In yeah, a way that- <laughs> sure, sure. But but you get what I'm saying is that it, it's it's one of those like landmarks. I think uh, I think we'll look. But I mean, it's it's only been seven years now. But I'm gonna go out on the limb and like forecast and say like in 20 30 years people might look back at rock history and be like yeah royal blood's album coming out in 2014 is just raises the bar a little bit you know yeah yeah definitely um of what two pieces can do what 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 they can be and that there is a place for um rock in the mainstream yeah which i've said several times before but it's genuinely true like rock in the mainstream has been largely indie Mm. recently they're not much heavier no, uh, except for bands who have been around for years already and have that that legacy fan new bands. base. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I said it at the end of the last episode where I definitely think that they are the breakout yeah. uh, rock act of the twenty uh, tens. Mm. And, and it's uh, it, it creates this kind of I forgot what I'm going to say now. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about the drumming on this album mm. it is not the kind of drumming that i find very easy because it's very restrained and the it's not very fast like in terms of actually going from note to note mm-hmm. which i tend to quite like pack a lot of things in put a lot mm-hmm. of fills in mm. there whereas this is the sound has been thought about it's huge drums so the actual not only are they big frequency-wise? They also last quite a long time. So you don't need to get note after note after note. Each one it's, is going to have it, a significant presence. It would get kind of mushy if you did that, right? E- you... Exactly. And yeah, that's exactly it. So everything is exactly where it needs to be. It's very Brad Wilk-esque. Um, mm-hmm. You can hear a huge influence um, from Rage and Audio Slaves. Um, but this is what I was saying about met, the, like, the, the how they distilled that history. Yes, exactly. That's, exactly. Why, that's why I'm saying it's that moment where they seem to have grabbed all the cool bits from rock and roll yeah in the last 50 years and <laughs> just went yep oh yeah it, it's not um it, it's not anything individually new on this album but it is a unique combination yeah of these different elements but that's what makes it new you see well, nothing is absolutely oh, no, of entirely course. Like, original you're li- always grabbing literally every, literally yeah. everything in modern music yeah. was done by the composers 100 200 yeah, yeah. years we ago we just sort of do it in a new way and yeah, you, you exactly. find new things to to piece mm. together Anyway, cool. tell, tell us more about the drumming. Did you have more? Yeah, this is one of my big takeaways from this season mm. is how I approach my parts. Rather than thinking about how I feel while I play them, I want to think about how it sounds if I was listening to myself mm. more. Mm-hmm. Am I complementing what the other instruments are doing? Am I leaving myself room to go bigger later like in this album, the fact that the basis for a lot of the songs is this kind of mid to slow tempo mm. means that 
the few times that they then decide to go, okay, we want a huge ending here. There's so much room for double time that still doesn't have a mushy drum sound because it's not too fast already. Yeah, and he's also when he when he's when he's doing the double time, it generally sticks to the basic beat, right? He, he's not doing too many massive fills. Yeah, exactly. I can't. I, you know, you listen to the album. There's not many instances where he's trying to do like fancy uh, double stroke rolls all around the kit and and yeah. things like that. It's big power rock drumming that sounds great all the way through every hit is huge like and that's exactly what brad wilk did yeah. on audio slave yeah, and yeah. all through rage every note is absolutely perfect and that is actually the real challenge of drumming is making every single thing you do sound great almost every person listening to this who has ever done anything and still has two hands and one foot can play a basic rock rhythm in half an hour of teaching hmm. but it takes years to make that sound great for yeah. anyone and there are lots of professional drummers who can't do it very well mm-hmm. still because and what they've done instead is just not play it as often in their <laughs> in their arsenal right um so that's uh, a real big takeaway for me and um we're gonna sideways into some more takeaways uh from the season as we go um what what else struck you about royal blood well it's it's, it's actually it's similar to the to the drumming thing actually because it's about um leaving space i think that's mm. one of the one of the things and i think at in our format automatic manic, it, you kind of have to anyway mm-hmm. but when you're recording you can always stick more stuff on there it's just about this album's great for that and we, i know i've talked about it you know ad nauseum <laughs> throughout that you got to get it live and that's that's what's going to give you the best feel and as you were saying this is recorded live mm. And it just shows, right? It's just exciting as hell. Mm. Um, obviously, well recorded and everything like that. But if you don't have that basic kind of level of excitement, then it's not going to work. And because it's just the two of them live, there's plenty of space because there's like nothing else. And then you can add those little adornments. Of which there's like a little guitar lick from time to time. The uh, or some ta- most tasteful use of a shaker and a shaker, effective use exactly. of a shaker right at the beginning of the song in yeah. the second half of the intro. Just this out of the black. It's it ratchets that tension up, <laughs> and they use the same thing in the verse to like give you in what would otherwise be Just quite a, a long verse. Yeah. Then actually becomes the uh, first half of the verse, and then a slightly excited second mm, half of mm. the verse before going into the uh, chorus, mm. which is really smart. Yeah, and it's but it's simple. That's the thing. That's- mm. But that well, sorry, it's wise. Yeah. Exactly. And and that's what I'm saying is that it's too easy to sort of overcomplicate this. It, in the end, it's, it's music and you can just, like you were saying, put yourself in the listener's position. And there's a lot you can do that that's quite simple. I mean, uh, the White Stripes are another one that use percussion a lot. If you mm-hmm. listen to their songs, there's shakers and tambourines all over the place. It fills out the sound without there being a sort of really identifiable other instrument, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's there if you're listening for it, but it's not like there's a suddenly a piano or something else that's really complicating the the sort of harmonic content. Yes. Um, yeah. and, and implying another person. Obviously, <laughs> I, I don't mean any offense to any percussionists out there, but I think the average person just, like, it doesn't really, it doesn't really register in that way. It, it becomes more texture. But that's part of the beauty of it. It's like, yeah, the, the, the um, you can build your music in so many different ways. Mm. And texture is just as important Absolutely. as yeah, the yeah. harmony. Yeah. Whether people realize that or not is kind of they it's a moot it. point. People feel it, but they don't. You don't consciously hear it. If you know what I mean, it's, mm. it's like we were saying in the Guns N' Roses episode. Um, it's it's 
you you feel it rather than you thinking about it. Whereas mm. whereas like if somebody charges in with like a piano lick or a guitar solo, like they're forcing you to pay attention to them. And it's definitely not texture at that point. Yeah, well, there's there's a couple of points in here uh, in Royal Blood where it sounds like there should be a guitar solo. <laughs> there's only two of them. So the guitar solo, just like we were saying the the rest of the chords earlier, it's an implied guitar solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really it's all, cool. Yeah, it's kind of cool. It's But you don't miss it as well. It's sort of mm. the way they play the instrumental part is is sort of interesting enough, is, is big enough, and there's sometimes like a little backing vocal or something like this. Mm. And it just sort of works and it carries you through. That, yeah, that's, absolutely. That, that's something definitely to learn from, you know. It's definitely informed that kind of riff-based thing yeah. that we have. Yeah, definitely. Do you have a favourite song on this one? I'm going to have to look at that. Yeah. I'm going to look at it because this is hard. The Little Monster is really good. I think it might be Figure It Out. Okay. Yeah, really good song. The, the thing about it is, you know, when we were listening to it earlier, the first two songs are really in your face and they come in sort of really blast blast you and hit you in the hit you in the chest figure it out kind of it sort of starts strutting at that point it really does i likened it to like the bg staying alive yeah, yeah that kind of very uh it's got the same drum beat actually but yeah. again it's just like it's such a different interpretation of a very similar thing like the and the the little like chug the chugging on the guitar yeah yeah, yeah. it, it ding, all ding, works ding, and it just ding, sort of ding, ding, ding. and it and then it has that like really cool um uh it has a really cool uh, bit towards the end where where it kind of falls falls away and it's just the guitar doing the thing and the drum's still sort of strutting away and then it flips into that double time and then ends. Mm, yeah, and exactly. It's just like, it, it, that, that song just blows me away every time. It's, a, it's, a, it's an absolute quality song. And it is one of the ones that I get in my head every now and then from this album. Because mm. like we're saying, there are so many memorable bits. It's, it, and it is a little guitar lick rather than a... The vocal line necessarily, but yeah. but I always am able to follow it in. Yeah. yeah. Um, How about yeah, you? Really great song, Little Monster. It, it, that impression was so strong right at the beginning, and I still think it's the my favorite kind of collection of like riff and feel mm-hmm. and stuff. Uh, it's. I, I was surprised that it was um, the kind of lower down uh, on the track listing it's number six out of ten i think well it's, i was it, kind it, of expecting the, it to it, be the the it, opening song but it's the opening song of side b no yeah of course right. and so it, as it an album an it works like yeah. that um but uh i'm a i'm a cd person f- still in my mind so i'm always <laughs> like you front load the first four songs yeah um but actually like it's a it's kind of i get i guess i would actually say it's a testament to the quality throughout the album that it it doesn't really matter to be no, honest it never really like, it's, it's not like it's not like um out of the black is a poor opener no it's it, <laughs> it's really good um, yeah and the, the album it like you're saying it's it's really focused and it's it's quick it's you know just over half an hour it it also it gets in it, there's no filler there's and that, I mean, that's kind of a feature of most of the albums that we've done, right? Some of the, mm. one or two of them might have been we a couple like of songs heavy, but yeah. this one really not. It just sort of gets through and it's done. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's some real standout songs through it that I could have picked as well, actually, like mm. now that I reflect on it rather than my, my visceral um, need to have <laughs> a little monstrous moment. <laughs> uh, like um, uh, Blood Hands yeah. is such a progressive. Mm. Little little progressive masterpiece, like the way that it builds into very intense, just surprisingly like rock heavy mm. uh, chorus in there, very affecting. 
I mean, another one is um, You Can Be So Cruel. Yeah. No, I, that first side, I th- if I had to pick a side, mm. it would be the first one. I think. Yeah. Uh, it's like if a metal band tried to cover the Black Keys. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what I think of it. <laughs> um, but then you took away all the guitars, you know? Yeah, yeah. They, only, they could only play basses and baritones or something. You know? <laughs> that's, that's, that's kind of what's going on here. It, it's awesome because, it, like, but you're right, it has that kind of, like I was saying earlier about how in the vocals he's using pentatonic scales to sort of bluesy mm-hmm. and poppy, you know, like it's, it's, it's the, there's a lot of overlap there. But the instrumentation is so big and heavy and it, it kind of crosses both worlds in that way. I think it's cool. Yeah, definitely. Hi everyone, that's the end of the Royal Blood episode. We recorded it as part of a larger conversation over the whole season, which will be out next week, so please do tune into that. Thanks for listening, and as ever, if you have any thoughts about what we've been talking about, then do get in touch, and we hope to hear from you soon. Bye!